Welcome back, everyone. You know where you are. This is Off the Post with your host, Ethan 64 Laterno. Everyone knows that I am 64 and I've always been 64. Only people six foot two and taller can hear this episode. So if you're hearing this, congratulations on the growth. Proud of you. We have a plethora a smorgasbord of content to talk about this week because we got Premier League. We had some crazy shit go down. We had some rivalries renewed. We got Champions League previews. I got Champions League recaps. I got I got shit coming out of my ears and we just need to talk about it. So let's dive in. Starting with something that Everton fans have been waiting for. For 11 years, Merseyside is blue. They beat their arch-rival Liverpool for the first time since 2010 with a 2-0 win at Anfield. To give some background on this, this is one of the most highly contested rivalries in English football. Everton and Liverpool. They're from the same city. They're both in Liverpool. Their stadiums are less than a mile away. They are bitter rivals, and the rivalry is so one-sided, it's almost hilarious. Like I said, Liverpool have beaten or drawn Everton 11 years in a row. Everton have not won a game against Liverpool since 2010. They have not beaten Liverpool at Anfield since 1999. Yikes. This this is the equivalent of like Red Sox Yankees. This like for Americans. Red Sox Yankees is like the epitome of rivalry. Two teams that hate each other and it's very even. That's how much these teams hate each other. But imagine if the Yankees beat the Red Sox for 10 years in a row. At that point, it's not really a rivalry, is it? It just seems like a it's like a twice yearly beatdown, and they're like, "Oh, time for the rivalry game. We're gonna get you guys this time." And they're like, "No, you're you're not gonna beat us." It's almost it's just like Big Brother, Little Brother. Like, "Oh, I'm gonna beat you now." No, no, you're not. But Everton beat them. Liverpool had to have five defenders hurt, but they beat them. Nevertheless, they beat them. Be like the little brother finally beating big brother in basketball because big brother has two broken legs. And little brother's like, ha ha, I beat you. We're the same. Like, Everton fans must be on cloud nine right now, but let's not act like this one win erases 10 years of not beating your quote unquote rival. But nevertheless, huge game for Everton. This will keep them in the hunt for a European spot. Liverpool have lost four home games in a row for the first time since the 1920s. It is never good when you've done something so bad that they're like, man, the last time we were this bad, it was a hundred years ago. That being said, Liverpool are still in a European spot, but they're trending downward Jordan Henderson got hurt. That's another defender hurt. So now they have, I believe, five defenders hurt. I think Fabinho might be back next week, which they badly need. 
Uh, things are not looking good for Liverpool. But if they can get a couple guys healthy, maybe things change. I don't know. I, it just looks bleak right now. Now, the total opposite of something bleak. And that's West Ham. That's West Ham, baby. We all, we. I say we because I play in the game, you know. I'm on, I'm, I'm on in front of the TV clapping. I'm just as important as the starting goalkeeper. We had a we had a rivalry game this weekend against Tottenham. A little London derby for you. And every year there's talk about is London blue? Is London red? Is London white? Chelsea, Tottenham, and Arsenal are usually the top three London teams. But after 25 weeks, London's Clarendon blue. London's Clarendon blue because West Ham are fourth in the table and the last Champions League spot and are having a historic season for West Ham. Don't get me wrong. For other teams, this is just a walk in the park. But for West Ham, this is cloud nine. We've never been better. West Ham beat Tottenham 2-1, to one, sending West Ham up to a Champions League spot. We're massive. We're huge. We've never been better. One thing I did not know about this rivalry is how close it is. Tottenham have been the much more dominant team over the past decade. They've qualified for Champions Leagues. They've contended for titles. Never won one. They were in a Champions League final. Didn't win, of course. You know, that's the ongoing joke is that Tottenham can't win a trophy. But nevertheless, they're always in the hunt. So you would think that they would dominate West Ham, a team that's perennially just trying to stay afloat. But no. Over the past 25 games, Tottenham's won 10 West Ham's won nine. This is a close rivalry. Don't let anyone tell you different. This is a close rivalry. Now, as for the game itself, West Ham had a solid game plan defensively, and that was uh, don't let Harry Kane shoot the ball, which a lot of teams uh, fail to do, which is why uh, he scores so much and assists so many goals. But as I talked about before, you contain Harry Kane, you contain Tottenham. And Harry Kane was held to one shot on target for the entire game. Boom. Boom. Little side note about Harry Kane. Harry Kane's British accent is so strong that in England, they have to put subtitles on the screen when he talks for an interview. Because his accent is so heavy. In England. That'd be like in Texas, if someone had such a thick southern accent, they had to put subtitles on the screen. This man is just out there like, Yeah, you know, we don't go out there do shooting thing, you know what you're doing. And they're like, yes, Harry. Thank you, Harry. That was very, uh, very profound. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> Jesse Lingard scored again. That's th four goal involvements in four games. Uh, Issa Diop has filled in for Angelo Ogbonna beautifully Aaron Cresswell continues to be the surprise of the season for us he couldn't stop a leak last year and now he's one of our best defenders it's it's just crazy and I love seeing the team play with so much passion and playing for each other and having the fight to take on bigger teams and that's kind of where that's what's gotten us here to fourth place a place I never thought we'd be I thought we'd be fourth from last 17th sounds a lot more accurate of where I thought we'd be right now than fourth. 
now for Tottenham, they're not as happy over there. And a lot of it stems from terrible defending. I mean, Tottenham's center-back partnership went from prime Vertonghen and prime Alderweireld from a couple years ago, and now it's Davinson Sanchez and Eric Dyer. And both goals were defended terribly. West Ham's first goal, uh, it was just ball-watching from the defense, and they just watched Mikhail get a rebound. And they're like, wait, well, why didn't you get it? And they're like, no, why didn't you get it? Well, I thought you were going to get it. That's pretty much their defensive plan, was just finger-pointing. And the same could be said for the second goal, because they just let Jesse Lingard run in and shoot it. It was kind of pathetic. You expect better from a top team like Tottenham. But they're not playing like a top team, because they're in ninth place. And to think that they were first at some point in the season just blows my mind. It really does. Moving on to another game I watched this weekend that was very exciting. And that's Leicester's win over Aston Villa. Two fun teams fighting for European spots. Leicester already in a Champions League spot, trying to stay hot, and they do. 2-1 win. James Madison and Harvey Barnes, I think, need to get more appreciation, and they could possibly get into the England squad this summer for the Euros. Harvey Barnes got nine goals and five assists. James Madison has eight goals and five assists. Both of them with goals today. And they're really good, dude. (laughs) There's just no way around it. Leicester is so good at recruiting young English players, and then also bringing up young English players in their academy. And it really pays to have be strong in those areas. Because that means players can come and go, and you stay strong. And it's for that reason that Leicester have been able to sell players like N'Golo Conte, Riyad Mahrez, and Harry Maguire, all incredibly important players at their club. They've been able to sell them on and get better which is just wild. They've kind of given a blueprint for what small teams in the Premier League should do to compete with the big boys. You know? Strong youth academy that's constantly churning out players that can come up to the first team. Smart, sensible transfers, not overspending too much on one player and putting all your eggs in one basket. And knowing when to sell. I mean, all these players you would have thought would have been irreplaceable at Leicester, they have not been afraid to sell them and make a bunch of money back that they can now further invest into their team. And it's it's turned out to be a winning formula. Who would have thought? Now, in terms of the game, Leicester's midfield just outplayed Villa's. All season, Villa's midfield has actually been really good. I mean, McGinn, Louise, Barkley, that combination has been giving teams hell all year, but they couldn't hang today. James Madison, Harvey Barnes, Yuri Tillemans, Willifred, and Didi. They played him off the field. They couldn't do shit. And Villa's defense just looked really shaky. They're a very good defensive team, but they just... Uh, it's one of those things. They just didn't have it today. So that puts Villa in a really tough spot because their dreams of European football are getting shakier with each loss. And Leicester's dream for top four? Very real. It's Very real. Moving on, Man City won again. That's not the story, okay? It's that Arsenal lost again. Arsenal is a perennial top six contender. They haven't won the league since 2004, 
but they're constantly qualifying for European football. If they're not in Champions League, they're in Europa League. If they're not in Europa League, they're in Champions League. And right now, they are in, I believe, 10th? Yes, they're in 10th. On 34 points, 10 wins, 11 losses. Not good. And I kept thinking to myself, how is this possible? Like, Arsenal is always so good. How how are they here? Well, you just have to look at the starting lineup they put out today. And I looked at that starting lineup, and I honestly think there's only a couple of players on this team that I would even fathom putting in the West Ham team. I mean, there's a few players who I would want on West Ham. I would like for them to be on the bench. But there's not many players right now who would even get in West Ham's starting lineup, which I don't think has ever been said before. Just looking at the starting lineup they put out. Burned Leno. Great goalkeeper. Not starting over Lucas Fabianski right now. Karen Tierney. Great up-and-coming left back. Not starting over Aaron Cresswell right now. Center backs Pablo Mari and Rob Holding. Bro, if you want to compete for European football, you gotta do better than Rob Holding and Pablo Mari, bro. And a right back that got Hector Bayerin. Hector Bayerin couldn't lace Vladimir Sufal's boots. Not even close. Their defensive midfield partnership of Mohamed Elneny and Granit Shaka isn't even close to Thomas Suchek and Declan Rice. And it's really coming all together that Arsenal's poor transfers and bad recruitment has just led to just... Uh, they just kind of throw players out there and they're like, eh, go in. It's crazy to see West Ham having better transfers than Arsenal. But that's where we are. That's where we are. Yeah, Arsenal in 10th. Man City have now won like 17 games in a row. I think they're, they're going to win the league at this point. I don't think it's a hot take to think that the team that's won 17 games in a row and is 10 points above second place is going to win the league. It's not crazy, in my opinion. It's not that crazy. It was, again, Arsenal only lost 1-0, but the goal they let up was laughable. A cross got put in, and Rob Holding could not defend. Five foot seven Raheem Sterling, who headed the ball in. A player who is seven inches taller than Raheem Sterling could not defend Raheem Sterling from heading the ball. I don't even know what to say about that. I'd be furious if I was an Arsenal fan. And I I hope they can steer the ship correctly because when Arsenal's good, I think it's good for the Premier League. I think I've said that before. But right now, they're dog shit. They are dog shit. This last game, I wasn't even going to cover. And then the game was played. I watched the end of it. Absolute madness. The matchup itself is boring. Crystal Palace and Brighton. Yuck. Okay, that's yuck. I'd rather watch paint dry, but it's soccer. I'll watch it. Fuck it. I'm just going to read you the stats of this game, and then we'll talk about the result. Brighton had possession for 75% of the game. 75%. Palace's possession? 25%. Those of you at home that can do math, you knew that already. Passes. 
Brighton completed 625 passes. Palace completed 163. That is less than two passes completed per minute on average. They did not they did not have the ball the entire game. Brighton outshot Palace 25 to 3. That is eight times as many shots. 25 to 3. Palace won the game 2-1. Oh my god, this shit only happens in video games, man. This shit only happens in video games. It happened in real life. They shot 25 times and only let up 3 shots and they lost. And both of Crystal Palace's goals were just like two beauties. One goal. This Here's a fire name. Jean-Philippe Mateta scored a backheel goal, put it right past Vincent Guaita. Fire goal. Check it out if you can. And then in the last minute of the game, Andros Townsend gets the ball and just starts running down the field for a counterattack. At this point, Crystal Palace had registered two shots on target. And he just gets to the end of the field and just whips an across to Christian Benteke. And Benteke was like, yeah, I'm just going to hit this first time. No big deal. Smashes it into the side netting. Place goes wild. Ah, ah, ah. Place went wild. That's what it sounded like. That's exactly what it sounded like. But I have no reason to cover this game. But between that stats, the finish, it's absolute hilarious. I love soccer. Because this shit happens and you're like, oh, this is why this is such a great sport. Now I'm going to do quick fire with the rest of these results from the Premier League this past weekend because I want to cover more Champions League stuff. And quite frankly, I don't really care about these games that much. All right. Chelsea won. Southampton won. Chelsea failed to beat a Southampton team that's lost six games in a row. That's got to hurt. I mean, I know Chelsea still haven't lost yet with Thomas Tuchel but I hope you could beat a team that's lost six games in a row. So that's disappointing for Chelsea. But Southampton did not lose. Good for you guys. Wolves won. Leeds nil. Eh. I always tell you guys, like, you gotta watch Leeds. They're so attacking and fun. And then they do shit like this, and they score zero goals on arguably the most boring team in the Premier League, Wolves. And they lost to them. That's the Leeds experience. Highest of the highs, lowest of the lows. Burnley nil, West Brom nil. Quite frankly, I don't have a reason to review two bottom five teams who didn't score a goal. So I'm going to leave it at that. Fulham won, Sheffield nil. Quiet as it's kept, Fulham might not get relegated. They're only three points behind 17th place Newcastle, who we'll get to in a minute. And they could be in the Premier League next year if they can keep stringing together these wins. At this point, Sheffield's just playing for the paycheck. I mean, it's got to be so demoralizing. Like, you've won three games all season. You're not... You're not surviving the drop. You're going down. Just play for that paycheck and hope the grass is greener on the other side of this season. And finally, Manchester United 3, Newcastle 1. 
I would hope Manchester United could beat Newcastle, and they did. I'm not going to praise you for it or pat you on the back. You're supposed to beat Newcastle. Newcastle are shit. They are shit. They are in 17th. They're only three points away from a relegation spot. Not where they want to be. Manchester United. I mean, they're really not keeping pace with City unless there's a catastrophic failure on City's end and Man United get hot at the same time that City start to fail. Then they can compete for a title, but right now they're 10 points behind, man. They're in second, but they're 10 points behind. It's now time for a Champions League recap. Let's talk about the four games that happened this week, and then we'll preview the four games happening this week. And let's start with PSG Barcelona and Kylian Mbappe reminding us who the fuck he is with a hat trick at the camp now. No one was really talking about Mbappe this year. I mean, he was, he's was he been in the spotlight for a while now as a young star. He's, been, he's a generational talent. And he's kind of just been doing his thing, scoring goals, which we're all used to by now, so it doesn't wow us like it used to. And then he just shows up on a Champions League night in Barcelona and bags a hat trick while making Barcelona's defense look absolutely incompetent. He's so fast. He's so skillful. He just ran past them in Gerard Piquet. Man, after that game, his old ass is probably like, man, I probably should retire when I get a chance because that was not a strong look for Barcelona at all. They came into this game really hot. They left this game demoralized with their tail between their legs because that was a bad showing. A 4-1 defeat at home? (sighs) Can't do that. Cannot do that, especially with how goal difference works out in this Champions League knockout rounds. You play one home leg, one away leg. Team with the most goals wins. And if they're tied, the team that scores the most away goals moves on. So PSG automatically off the bat, they're up 4-1, to one, and they've scored four away goals. Which means if Barcelona want to advance, pretty sure they have to win like 4 nothing away at PSG. Which I don't think is going to happen. They're in a bad spot. Besides Mbappe, I was really impressed with Leandro Paredes and Moise Keane. Paredes ruled Barca's midfield all night. And Moise Keane, last year, couldn't break into an Everton team. And now he's scoring goals on Champions League nights against Barcelona. Can't figure him out, but the kid is showing up big time. Moving on. Liverpool have stunk in the Premier League, but they beat RB Leipzig 2-0. And at the end of the day, it was just Liverpool making the most of their chances. RB Leipzig had a couple of sloppy defensive mistakes, and Liverpool punished them. I mean, Salah and Mane, they've been a little quiet recently, but they don't they don't miss those chances. You can't give them easy chances and expect them to not miss them. Like, they're going to score. And their experience in the Champions League really shone through. Even with a bad defense, they held a clean sheet and showed that Hey, this is a tournament. Anything can happen. We might suck in England, but we did not play in England. We played in, I believe, Hungary because of COVID restrictions, because that's great. But yeah, good for Liverpool. 
Now, maybe the upset, not maybe, this was the upset um, of the week, and that's Porto upsetting Juventus, 2-1. to one. They scored a goal in the first minute of each half, which is just, that's got to throw Juve for an absolute loop. Like, 60 seconds into the game, you're down 1-0. Second half starts, 30 seconds in, you're down 2-0. You're like, what the fuck? We just got out here. What are we doing? But Juve haven't been as dominant as years past. Usually they're first in Serie A. They've won nine league titles in a row, just to give you an idea. And they're third right now, which is a place they're not usually at. So they've been a little shaky defensively, and Porto took advantage of that. Uh, They held Ronaldo to no goals. So good for them. I was really impressed with their fullbacks, whose names I will try not to butcher. Wilson Manafa and Zaydu Sunisu, sorry, Sanusi, Zaydu Sanusi. Maybe some names to keep an eye on. So good for Porto. Now, that being said, it's a 2-1 lead. Juve scored an away goal. I think Porto won this battle, but the war is going to go to Juve. I mean, I just don't see Juve having another performance like this at home. They just have to... They, they just have. If they win one nil, they advance. That's all it's going to take, and I think that's well within Juventus's bounds, unless they their defense doesn't show up again. Which don't get me wrong, could happen. It literally just happened, but I don't think it's going to happen again. And last game last week, and that was Dortmund's three two win over Sevilla, which I actually wasn't expecting. I like Dortmund. I'm a Dortmund fan. They're my favorite team out of Germany. And their form was horrible going into this game. Sevilla couldn't have been hotter. They had won seven games in a row and had kept a clean sheet in every single one of them. They were scoring goals and not allowing them. That's the name of the game. Dortmund put three goals on them in one half. And all of it... Not all of it. Erling Holland, wonder boy Erling Holland, was involved in all of them. Two goals and an assist out of him in 45 minutes. The kid is unreal. He's the terminator of football. He can't stop scoring. I think he's played like 45 games for Borussia Dortmund. He scored 46 goals. Like, he he just, that's all he does. And that's an insane record. That is insane. And that alone gives Dortmund a big edge going into their home leg. One goal advantage, but three away goals, that's a spot you want to be in. But that being said, anything can happen because Sevilla's a really good team and Dortmund have been known to fall apart. So even though they have the advantage, I'd say that this next game is going to be wide open. I don't think really any team has the advantage because it's the wild, wild west in that game. Moving on to a preview of this week's games. Let's start with Atletico Madrid and Chelsea. Atletico Madrid are top of La Liga in Spain. Chelsea are fifth in the Premier League. I think this is... I think Atletico Madrid might eat Chelsea's lunch. I don't want to jinx it. Because Chelsea are known to just show up and be like, oh, this is the Chelsea that we were afraid of. But Chelsea really haven't looked amazing. I mean, they haven't lost a game since Thomas Tuchel's taken over. But they have not played a real team, in my opinion. 
Like, their toughest game was against Tottenham, and Tottenham just got ran over by West Ham. So, was it really a tough game? Like, this isn't Barnsley. This isn't Newcastle. This is Atletico Madrid. They are top of La Liga. They got Luis Suarez and Marcos Llorente. They've only allowed 16 goals in 23 games in their league. Atletico Madrid might clean their clock. But I'm not here to make predictions. That being said, I think Atletico Madrid wins. Moving on. Lazio versus Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich won the Champions League last year. Right now, they're the, in my opinion, they're the second best team in the world. They have the hottest striker in the world. They have the best defensive midfielder in the world. They have arguably the most consistent goalkeeper in the world. They have the most underrated attacking midfield in the world. And they have one of the best coaches in the world. And all of that together creates one of the most unstoppable teams in Europe. Robert Lewandowski, probably going to score. Thomas Muller, he might score too. Joshua Kimmich, these are all names you need to look out for because they're some of the best players in the world. Alfonso Davies, don't even get me started. Canadian 20-year-old left back that just bursts on the scene and instantly becomes best in the world. They're a wagon. And they're facing the fifth best team in Italy at the moment. Lazio is fifth in Serie A. And if they want to get a result versus Bayern, man, they got to pull something out of their ass. They got to pull something out of their ass. And Lazio are a good team. They have a lot of fun, exciting players. Chiro Immobile is consistently one of the top scorers in Italian football. Sergej Milinkovic-Savic is one of the most dynamic midfielders in the world. Luis Alberto, one of the best attacking midfielders in the world. That All that that I just said isn't enough to beat Bayern. Bayern have to be fucking up, and Lazio have to be playing the games of their lives. Bayern are a wagon is what I'm trying to say, and I would be shocked. Again, Lazio, maybe they'll get a draw. Maybe they'll even shock them and get a win, but I don't think Bayern lose this round. They're just too good. Moving on to, in my opinion, I don't even think this is an opinion. They're the hottest team in Europe, arguably the world. It's Manchester City. They've won, what, 17 games in a row now across all competitions, and now their best player is back healthy. Christ, De Bruyne's back, Gundogan's hot, Cancelo's hot, Mares is hot, Sterling's hot, everyone's clicking. They're playing Borussia Mönchengladbach, who, I mean, they're just happy to be in the Champions League, let alone make it to the knockout rounds. So this is like the worst possible draw for them, in all honesty. They're eighth, eighth. In Bundesliga right now, Germany's top league. To give you an idea, Bayern Munich are in first, of course, with 49 points. Gladbach is in eighth with 33. Yikes. They have more draws than they do wins. Ooh, geez. This might be a, a, an utter battering, as they say. A right proper battering, if I do say so myself. Kicked the poor lad's teeth in several times and curb stomped him outside the pub. That's that's what we might be looking at. Gladback really aren't in good form. They need a miracle. They 
they have a good goalkeeper, Jan Sommer. Great, underrated goalkeeper in my opinion. But he's going to have to have the best performance of his life. So that's two games on Miracle Watch. And finally, the last game this week, Atalanta and Real Madrid. Now, Real Madrid are blue bloods in this competition. Just a couple years ago, they won three Champions Leagues in a row, something that's never been done before. Most of their team has experience in deep Champions League runs. They have so much experience everywhere. But don't count out Atalanta. Don't count out Atalanta. Because obviously Real Madrid are going to be the favorites. Real Madrid, there's very few situations when Real Madrid isn't going to be a favorite. But if there was ever a scrappy, smaller team to beat Real Madrid, it might be Atalanta. They are currently 5th in Serie A, tied with points with Lazio, which makes you think, oh, Ethan, if you make it sound like Lazio is terrible, how is Atalanta any better? Hear me out. Atalanta are just so dynamic offensively. Their offense, when it's firing, is one of the best in Europe for a team that's so small. Last year, was they qualified for Champions League for the first time ever. And they did it again this year because they kept most of their good players. And some people to look out for. Luis Muriel, Duvan Zapata, Josip Ilicic. These are all names of players that could be playing, honestly, for top clubs in Europe right now, but they're playing at Atalanta. Their form has been on fire for like two seasons now. Don't count out Atalanta. I don't make predictions, but my prediction for the upset of this round is Atalanta beating Real Madrid. Real Madrid, despite all of their success, have had a lot of letdowns this season their defense has been exposed on a couple of occasions, and Atalanta are more than capable of exposing teams defensively. Their defense isn't their strong suit, it's clearly their attack, and that is... I mean, Real Madrid's offense could eat Atalanta's lunch. I could be talking out of my ass, and this could be another shit-kicking. But Atalanta have the firepower to give Real Madrid problems. And if they aren't prepared to play... Atalanta's going to expose them. So my upset pick for this round is Atalanta beating Real Madrid. Now let's move on to one of my favorite segments, the Tweet of the Week, and then we'll get out of here. I didn't do a Tweet of the Week last couple weeks, mostly because I forgot. I'm a very forgetful boy. We all have flaws, and that's okay. My Tweet of the Week from at Conan O'Brien. Small-time comedian Conan O'Brien. I had no idea Toyota's RAV4 was short for Ravioli 4 until I opened the glove compartment. Made me chuckle. Made me chuckle. So thank you for sharing, Conan. And that's all I got for you. Make sure you watch some Champions League this week. There's going to be some fireworks. Watch some soccer this weekend. West Ham plays Man City. An unstoppable force meets an immovable object, which means Man City are probably going to kick our teeth in. 
but they might not, and that gives me hope. And with that, I will sign off. This is Ethan. This is Off the Post, and I will talk to you guys next week. Peace.